Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Really, Gavin? You want to trash talk American TV? I got two words for you. Benny Hill. Ass. The following podcast contains... Other trucker that hurt like a butt cheek on a stick. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When the best idea you could come up with was canceling the Clampets? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 291, the Rural Fuhrer edition of the show, where we talk about the Rural Purge, or as we like to call it today, the Laugh Track Died. Stay tuned. The What the Hell We Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Hooterville Chamber of Commerce, who wants you to say, Hello, Hooterville! When it comes to finding a pastoral retreat from the worries of everyday life, hello, Hooterville! Our colorful small town folks and thriving tourism hotspots like the Shady Rest Hotel or Sam Drucker's store to the wide open expanse of rich farmland such as the old Douglas Farm and all the quiet luxuries of clean country living are at hand. You haven't lived until you've been to Old Mail Day at Drucker's store or the Hog Cotillion at the Hooterville Founders Day celebration. Meet the finest pig in all the land, Arnold Ziffel, so when you're ready to say... Goodbye, city life! Say hello, Hooterville! Hooterville not associated with the National Restaurant Chain. Oh, this isn't for TGS. It's for my movie. The Rurger has a limited release next week. Oh, congratulations! I didn't know they had a release date for the Rur... for that movie. I'm oh, sorry. Gotta take this. Hello? You still don't know what the title is? No, no one does. It's gone on way too long to ask her about it. Could it be Roar Her Gem Her? No, that doesn't make any sense. It's got to be Oral Germ Whore. <laughs> okay, bye. Sorry, that was my publicist. You know, I have to admit, I kind of like that Tracy Jordan is no longer the only movie star on TGS. Maybe I'll finally start getting some respect around here. What's up, flabby butt? You look weird today. Hey, Pete, you want to see a comic book with pregnant zombie nuns? Yes, I do. Cool. And I have a screener of the movie for you. I want you to watch it. Ah, the rural juror. That is something. <laughs> I don't think the youngs today truly understand how much fucking television we Gen Xers consumed during our childhood. This is largely due to us being unparented and left to our own devices for hours and hours at a time because the Reagan economic revolution made it necessary for our parents to work two or three jobs at the time to make what their parents made with one. Thank you, Mr. President. So we would arrive home from school in the early afternoon and turn on the tube and settle down to learn about history from black and white reruns before tuning into current events when primetime started after we'd finished our, our scavenged meal of Kraft macaroni and cheese and Swanson TV dinners. Simpler times. And because there were so many empty hours to fill before the advent of the afternoon toy advertisements... You mean action cartoons? Yeah, that's what they called them, but they were really just a 30-minute block of toy commercials paid for by whatever toy company ponied up the dough. Before that, though, our afternoons were largely filled with classic television from the 1960s. 
For all, we only had three stations. Four, if you were close enough to a big city to have a UHF signal. The four hours between school ending and the evening news were a panoply of canceled shows that once upon a time dominated the airwaves. You could start by catching the last few minutes of Andy Griffith, then head straight into Gilligan, then flip over for the Brady Bunch, then catch some hillbillies in Petticoat Junction before zipping over to check out the last few minutes of Bonanza until the network news came on and it was time to eat dinner. After dinner... You went into primetime when you watch MASH or All in the Family or the Jeffersons. And of course, then there was Maud. And then there's 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 Maud. That uncompromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Right on, Maud. Or Alice, one day at a time. God, we had so much good primetime TV. Oh, sure, we, we may have had more television today, but I will die on the hill of TV and being better back in the 70s before the lifestyles of the rich and shitty took over with the nighttime soaps and shows starring overly cute and disgustingly precocious children. Unfortunately, for all those great primetime shows of the 70s to live, Arnold Ziffel had to die. <laughs> oh, now, Arnold, don't get upset. Remember, I've told you that the world is full of prejudice. <laughs> Why am I even talking about this? Well, one, I'm a huge Arnold Ziffel stan, and I have been since the OG. And over the past few months, people have noticed that the show has gotten, uh... You got real dark. I mean, what with cult leaders, shipwrecks, chubbly losers shooting ex-Beatles, so I wanted to turn to a lighter topic. And a week ago, one of my favorite podcast hosts, Andrew Walsh of Too Beautiful to Live, tweeted an Atlas Obscura article that references something I'd never heard of before. How to keep your mouth shut. That's hardly going to work for an audio product there, Gavin. No, I'm referring, of course, to the Rural Purge, which sounds like a bad batch of heroin got into the hollers. Dave! Dave, no! But it's actually about CBS television canceling a bunch of television shows. And trust me, it's a lot less boring than it sounds. To understand the Rural Purge, we have to go back to the early history of television. Do we have to? Yes, we really do. The beginnings of TV go back to 1923 when Vladimir K. Zvorkin, working for Westinghouse, filed the first patent for broadcasting moving images and sound over the airwaves. But it was Philo Farnsworth who essentially created what would become the tube television that dominated American living rooms for decades. TV didn't so much take off in the beginning. They were expensive, limited to major cities, and lived in the shadows of network radio. Then was the whole depression thing, followed by the whole war thing, and TV languished in obscurity until 1946 when the first commercial sets were finally on sale in any kind of broader market. But by 1948, there were 108 TV stations and over a million Americans had one in their homes. This is fucking phenomenal growth by any standards. There were 40 million U.S. households in 1948, and 4% of them had a TV within the first two years of commercial sales. By 1965, over 90% of U.S. households had a television. By comparison, the year 90% of U.S. households had a home computer in them was 2018. And the first mass market home computer, the Radio Shack TRS-80, was introduced in 1977 meaning it took 41 years for PCs to have the penetration television reached in 15. By 1955, over 60% of U.S. homes had a television and...
Did I set up this entire history lesson just to play you that song? No. But it was a delightful side benefit. The practical upshot of this sudden massive growth of the medium was the... We need video and exclusive content, so go. The early pioneers of television envisioned the medium as kind of a public forum. Featuring art, music, high-minded debate, much like the pioneers of radio. But it turns out the public didn't want high-minded content. It wanted the same shit they listened to on the radio, but with moving pictures. That's garbage. That's total garbage. So instead of an intellectual roundtables, we had quiz shows, variety hours, soap operas, and oh, so many sports. Basically, anything that could be ported over the network radio quickly and cheaply filled early TV screens, but it wouldn't take terribly long for native content to blossom on the screen. The first original television network sitcom debuted on the Dumont Network. Don't bother looking it up. It's gone now. On November 18th, 1947, Mary Kay and Johnny. It's an all-American situation comedy starring a real-life married couple, Mary Kay and Johnny Stearns, and plots centered around a bank employee and his zany but not dumb wife and the problems they encountered. Much of the activity occurred in the couple's apartment in Greenwich Village. I'd play you a clip here usually, but only one such clip exists, and it's currently in the Paley Center for Media. The DeMott Network alone would make a great topic for a podcast series. It basically created TV formats, and almost all of its surviving film went to the New York Harbor in the 1970s because it wasn't deemed of value. By the 1950s, the standard model of U.S. commercial television was fully established. The big three networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, dominated the medium, and unlike the early days of television, where the sponsor directly supported individual shows... Philip Morris, America's most enjoyable cigarette, presents the Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz Show, I Love Lucy. 30-second ad spots from many different sponsors all competing for the placement in popular shows came to dominate the space. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. The natures of the show changed as well. They shifted towards scripted shows and seasonal series, the same basic format commercial television uses today. Oh. By mid-decade, the top television shows were pretty much what you would expect. I Love Lucy, The Ed Sullivan Show, Dragnet, Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Wagon Train, and of course, The Rise of Disney. They were simple and wholesome and... It's, it's very white. There were black actors on television, but after the end of Amos and Andy, or the short-lived Nat King Cole show, there weren't really any black actors on television. This would be the case until 1965, when I Spy debuted Alexander Scotty Scott, played by none other than Bill Cosby. Oh, come on, man. And what's more, by the 1960s, a certain kind of situational comedy dominated much of primetime television, and they could be best classified as, uh, I guess, dumb? Surprise, surprise, surprise. Now, I am not now, and I certainly was not at eight years old, a connoisseur of intellectual arts, but uh, mid-60s sitcoms made Beavis and Butthead look like fucking Mensa candidates. And if you really want to point fingers, it all kind of started with one show. The Andy Griffith Show, starring Andy Griffith with Ronnie Howard. 
Also starring John Nunn. On the surface, Andy was a vanilla representation of small-town life, but over the years, the stupidity got bigger along with the ratings. And TV being what it is, the worst elements of the Andy Griffith shows were the ones that were copied, and before you knew it, most of time primetime TV went full-on goober. Or gomer. Whichever. I could never honestly tell the two of them apart. I think they were cousins? It's not Andy Griffith's fault. I mean, things were not highbrow before Andy or after. Mr. Ed was the second dumbest fucking thing ever put on television until Trump started holding rallies when it dropped to third. This guy, Wilbur Post, he's got a horse that talks. The aforementioned Ed. Ed makes Wilbur's life difficult. That's it. That's the show. And this show ran for five fucking years. What's the dumbest show that was ever put on television? Well, you all may think my story is more fiction than it's fact. But believe it or not, my mother did. Decided she'd come back as a call. She's a very old riding star. A 1928 port. That's my mother did. She helps me through everything I do. And I'm so glad she's here. In which, if you have not seen it, and you should not... A man's mother dies and is reincarnated, as you guessed it, a car. That show did 30 episodes between 1965 and 1966. So, taken with a show like Gilligan's Islands, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, F Troop, The Addams Family, and its ripoff The Monsters, The Flying Nun, she's a nun who can fly with the help of her hat. And of course, my favorite Martian, the landscape of TV sitcoms, was already bleak. But it was CBS that seemed to have a real penchant for a certain brand of dumb comedies that all featured country bumpkins just really being very country and very bumpkin-y. The archetype of this was none other than... The Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, good old country folks, the hillbillies, along with Petticoat Junction and Green Acres. Along with Gomer Pyle, USMC, the Corn Pone Variety Hours, Hee Haw, they seem to create a genre of TV shows featuring the goofiest aspects of country living and generally played Southerners and country folk as either noble savages and lightning city folks with their simple country values or simpering dipshits floundering around like a fish out of water, often both. I'm not saying that all the shows were bad, but they weren't good. They were entertaining, and they got great ratings, and CBS in particular ran so many of them, they became known as the Country or Cowboy Broadcasting Network, or the Hillbilly Network. And that lasted until the fateful day that became known as the Rural Purge. Quoting from Wikipedia, quote, by the late 1960s, many viewers, especially young ones, were rejecting rural-themed shows as irrelevant to modern times. Mayberry's total isolation from contemporary problems was part of its appeal. But more than a decade of media coverage of the civil rights movement had brought about a change in popular image in small southern towns. 
Gomer Pyle, USMC, was set on a U.S. Marine base between 1964 and 1969, but neither Gomer nor any of his fellow Marines ever mentioned the war in Vietnam. Surprise, surprise, surprise. CBS executives, afraid of losing the lucrative youth demographic, purged their schedule of hit shows that were drawing huge but older skewing audiences, unquote. So in 1970, to quote the actor who played Mr. Haney on Green Acres, Paul Buttram, quote, CBS canceled everything with a tree, even Lassie, unquote. In fact, a lot of the dumb genre got the axe in the purge. Mayberry RFD, The Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, Hee Haw, The Virginian, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Bewitch, I Dream of Jeannie, Hogan's Heroes, My Three Sons, Family Affair, The Lawrence Welk Show, and Petticoat Junction. There were also icons of the networks, The Ed Sullivan Show, The Andy Williams Show, The long-running Ed Skelton Show, which was the number seven rated show the year it was canceled. And of course, the one that really hurt a lot of young kids in its day. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Presented by Mutual of Omaha, the company that pays. Poor Jim. Marlon was always putting him in fucking danger. <laughs> it was a bloodbath of popular shows. These were not shows dragging in ratings. They were the staple of primetime TV and had been for years, and the network simply decided they were done with that kind of TV and canceled them. I mean, all of them went into reruns for decades, but many of them went straight into syndication right after their network cancellation and found equal popularity for years afterwards. Wild Kingdom ran until 1987. Hee Haw ran until 1992. Lawrence Welk, that anchor of Saturday afternoons before wrestling in my mamma and papa's house, ran in syndication until 1982. Even Lassie rescued Timmy from that well for another two years before after the network shit gander. And it wasn't just ratings or demographics. There were other things going on. From a 2013 post on the Shroud of Thoughts blog, quote, Of course, demographics were not the only factor that led to the rural purge. Another factor was the primetime access rule. The primetime access rule grew out of the Federal Communications Commission's concern over the dominance of the broadcast networks in television production and programming. The primetime access rule was then enacted in hopes of increasing diversity on local stations, allowing them to air different sorts of shows in time slots that once belonged to the network. To this end, the primetime access rule restricted network programming from 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Let me do that better. 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central to 11 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central. This meant that the networks lost several hours worth of time slots each week going into the 1971-72 season. It also meant that they had to cancel many more shows than they ever had to before. Since CBS had to cancel many more shows than they usually would, they took the opportunity to rid themselves of shows that appealed to older and rural audience. Another factor that may have led to the rural purge, although it is one that is not easily quantified or even verified, might have been sheer cultural bias. In the 50s, Irving Pincus had difficulty selling the real McCoys because the network executives thought viewers would have no interest in watching a show about rural people. Of the rural purge, Fred Silverman himself said, quote, the time has come to go big city as opposed to hayseed, unquote. For better or worse, rural humor has always been somewhat looked down upon. It has always been considered lowbrow and unsophisticated. On the part of executives belonging to what some jokingly call the country broadcasting system, there may have been a desire to distance themselves from shows they considered lowbrow 
un- uncultured, unquote. <laughs> also, and I'm sure this is totally just a coincidence. The same year as the rural purge was also the same year that the federal government banned advertising tobacco on television. Now, <laughs> clearly, clearly there is no way that the marketing departments of the advertisers and the networks would ever collude to deem a certain demographic more likely to smoke and therefore not as valuable to the TV marketing department as others. Clearly that's just some conspiracy thinking on my part. And these two things are utterly, utterly unrelated. I'd love to tell you these shows represented some sort of cultural watermark in television history, that they were emblematic of a greater zeitgeist going on in America during their heyday. Sadly, I cannot because... They are so stupid. And I want you to know I loved these shows. To this day, I can be entertained by watching 23 minutes of Jed and Granny out by the cement pond or get a chuckle from Mr. Douglas getting so angry at Arnold. And of them all, Hee Haw is probably the most important of these shows, documenting the who's who of country music for three decades. And if you don't find this funny... Now we got along, my life was real sunny, but only one thing would ruin But you worship money And you got mad when I offered you none Where, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and thought I'd found true love You met another and you was gone Man, if you don't think that's funny I don't even know what you were doing here listening to me But all in all, these shows represented the vast myopic wasteland of television from the end of the first golden age through the end of the 1960s. Painfully white, thoroughly lowbrow, and desperately cliched. The The rural purge was a mercy killing that put a lot of shows out of our collective misery. Or rather, move them from the center stage of our collective mystery to the afternoon schedule for a generation of latchkey kids. And when the dust from the purge settled, television looked dramatically different from just a few short years before. And for the first time in history, television kind of looked like America. And it all started right here, strangely enough. From Television City in Hollywood... Boy, the way Glenn Miller played Songs that made the parade Guys like us, we had it made Those were the days By sweeping away those shows, it opened up space for something new, different, and not as white Norman Lear's All in the Family did something that hadn't really been done before It turned the camera back on America and showed the audience people they recognized. Warts and all. Archie Bunker was a bigoted asshole and Carol O'Connor was a kind, loving, and progressive man and he was horrified to discover how many Americans thought Archie was spot on with his opinions. But you know what he did? He learned to use that role to say and do a lot of things that shine a light on race and gender relations in this country. From Wikipedia, quote, 
The show broke ground in its depiction of issues previously considered unsuitable for a U.S. network, television comedy, such as racism, anti-Semitism, infidelity, homosexuality, women's liberation, rape, religion, miscarriages, abortion, breast cancer, and the Vietnam War, menopause, and impotence, unquote. It's hard to imagine for the modern viewer, but Archie actually helped America scab over a little of the social wounds that that bled so raw in this country after the 1960s. And mister, we could use a man like Archie Bunker again today. Lear's spinoffs would feature people of color and women in dynamic starring roles, feature all black cast, and portray their black families in ways that were not seen on TV before. Were they comedies? Hell yeah, and funny ones too, but they didn't flinch from showing life as it was. So joining all in the family were shows like the Jefferson, Sanford and Sons and Good Times. And there were shows where women expanded outside the traditional roles of wives and mothers and actually had opinions about things. Shows like Maud, One Day at a Time, and even the controversial Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And also coming after The Purge, not Norman Lear shows, but other Brilliant shows like Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, The Carol Burnett Show, MASH, Kojak, Starsky and Hutch, The Rockford Files, Quincy, Welcome Back Carter, and while not all of them had the impact of Mary Tyler Moore or MASH, they were great fucking shows and they changed how Americans watched television. It taught them TV could be a little more like what its early visionaries dreamed it might be, a forum for thought and debate. It just came with cigarette odds and fart jokes. Then on top of that, the bum behind me had beans for lunch. How did you know that? I could tell by the way he smiled at me. And so even in their demise, the dumbest shows that gave their life in the rural purge opened up a new world for television. I'm just sad it only lasted a few years before Hillbilly Comedy came back and we were right back where we started. Just a good old boy Wouldn't change if they could Fighting a system like a modern-day Robin Hood Except this time it had Catherine Bakken tiny little short shorts so you know what i'm okay with it (laughs) that is it for our show this week and did i love dumb television but i was more a racy game show kid than an andy griffith rerun kid getting an episode a match game or hollywood squares really just any shows with charles nelson riley or paul lynn and i was a happy little kid it's no wonder my dad was so worried about me I just really thought they must be a hit with their ladies with their cutting humor and their sense of fashion. And I guess that really explains my early dating life. Me dressed in that hanky and a cravat really sent some kind of mixed messages, I think. Speaking of mixed messages, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods. This helps others find the show, listen to it, and wonder exactly what kind of message you were conveying when you suggested they listen to it. All of my saucy double entendres on the socials at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter or the show name on Facebook. And if you're a fan of saucy banter without the ads or for razor blades or financial planning, you can get all of the shows early and ad free at patreon.com slash what the hell podcast for just a buck. And for a few dollars more, get yourself some cool swag that if we ever get anyone donating at those levels, we'll get around to making someday. 
And all of our shows reside at whatthehellpodcast.com. Want to let you know, we are a proud member of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network, where my 70s nostalgia clashes head-on with 90s nostalgia in a way guaranteed to make everyone involved wonder, what the fuck is going on with that? And so for me, Dave... He was gone. Let's so producer. Gavin and all the fictional crows in our cornfield. We want to say the big wheels of the network started spinning. The verdict was that he hawed had to go because city slickers don't believe in grinning. And who the hell needs jokes in Kokomo? Well, I just want to say. We're still here for you, Kokomo. The What the Hell podcast will always be here for you, Kokomo. In the words of our patron Saint Dolly Parton, we leave you with this. So come back now, you hear? And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.